0: While the world is quick to tell you all that it's against, Uptown Church wants you to know we're for we're for doing what's right and fixing what's wrong we're for lifting up prayers and breaking down barriers we're for the brightest boldest loneliest finest and most flawed among us and most importantly we're for you Uptown Church in the city for the city Hey, hey, well, good morning. Welcome to Uptown Church, as Elizabeth said. We're so glad you're here, especially as we wrap up this month of celebration and our series, Welcome to the Party. If I have not gotten a chance to meet you yet, I'm Joy Gonzalez, the campus pastor here, and it's so good to see you, and to so many friends that come week after week, it's good to be back in the space with you today. Now, we're wrapping up our series. Before we do that, I know this is the part of regularly scheduled programming where I do the talking, but I want to flip the scripted a little bit bit this morning. Are you with me? Lots of people got really nervous and started eyeing the exit signs. Um, Okay. I want to know when you go to a party, like when you get invited to a dinner party or your friend is hosting dinner at their house or a potluck, you know, those things churches used to do in the like dungy basements. Yeah. Okay. When you go to one of those, what is your signature dish? What do you bring to the party? but I need you to tell the people around you. So turn around, tell the person next to you, get up if you have to, tell them what your signature dish is or what you bring to the party. (laughs) Okay, 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 We've got quiet here for a minute. How many of you bring like the cookies? You're like dessert. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, mashed potatoes in the room representing. Anybody, anybody? Yes, I see you. Okay, anybody like me, you get to bring the rolls. You know, the thing you pick up at the store that you really do nothing with? Yes. Okay, that question is everything today because this whole notion of the church being a party or welcome to the party hinges on that question. What do you bring to the party? See, you and I, when we get invited to come to somebody's house or to a party, what's one of the first questions we ask? Most of the time it's, who else is coming? Is it worth me coming to the party? (laughs) Is that person gonna be there or not? But the second question, or for some of us the first, is what can I bring? How can I help with a party? Maybe you're a helper and you're like, I'll come early, I'll set up, I like to decorate. Anybody that person? You can come to my house for dinner. Okay. You got to bring everything though. Um, Yeah. We intuitively know that the best parties or maybe what makes a party great is what we have to contribute. It's the parties that we participate in that are better for us and better for everyone else. And the same is true with the church. Now, let me back up, if you haven't been with us the last few weeks, we are doing this series not just in commemoration of our two-year birthday, but we're doing this series, Welcome to the Party, because we believe the very best metaphor for the church or image of the church is a party party. Now, many of us, that's not the version of church we grew up with or we heard of. You know, we, when we think of church or our past experiences, we think of, you know, having to follow rules or not fitting in or shh, 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 be quiet. You can't say that in church or you can't talk in church. That's like the first thing we tell kids at church is shh. We kind of have these versions that oftentimes come off as unappealing or uncomfortable or not very warm, actually kind of cold. But when we see Jesus interact and do his whole ministry, you see Jesus always coming from a meal or going to a meal, showing up at parties. Like we talked about last week, Jesus's first miracle is at a party, is at a wedding banquet celebration. And so we think that we need to do a little reclaiming of what God's vision for the church truly is. And when we look at Jesus's life, the best picture is that of a party. It's that dinner party that you go to and you stay way later than you thought because the conversation is just flowing. You can't get enough. The energy is there. Or it's like that event that you go to that you had like little expectation for but then you walk in and you are blown away and in all the best ways and you can't get enough. It's like that great wedding reception and celebration where you dance the night away and there's so much joy and anticipation present for this new family, this new life that you've just witnessed be created. What if that is the image that God had in mind when God birthed this group of people, this group called the church? We think so. So we've been looking at the characteristics of a really great party and comparing that to what the church should be like. And if you were here the first week, Pastor Elizabeth kicked us off and she said, the best parties are the ones that embrace the spirit, the more the merrier, that whoever will come and everyone that will come are, is welcome. And so we think the church is better when everyone is invited to the table and everyone gets to party together. Not an exclusive party, but an inclusive party. The the thing she noticed about that is that if everyone's going to be invited to the party, someone has to invite them. Then not only is everyone invited, but everyone is an inviter And the best part is embrace the spirit of that invitation and calling more people to participate because what's good for us is only really good if it's good for everybody else too, amen? And then last week we talked about why do we even celebrate in the church? I mean, when it seems like sometimes our world is so broken and our own lives can be broken when we walk into this place. I mean, how many of us have walked into a church or into our work environments or with friends and somebody asks you, hey, how are you? And what do you say? Good, I'm fine. And you're like, if you only knew. That... We can embrace the spirit of celebration in the church, not because we're putting on a mask and lying to ourselves and being naive about the world around us or even our own experiences, but because we know what's possible when people gather in Jesus' name. We know what's possible when we come together as the people of God, and that's this. And Jesus reminded us of this, that lost things can be found and dead things can come back to life. That we can be found if we feel lost and that if we feel like there are broken and dead parts of our lives, they can be brought back to new life. And so when we gather, that's the potential we celebrate. Whether we feel it in the moment or not, it's always possible. But I want to wrap up today on that question, what do I bring? Because the truth is no party, no party the church or otherwise is good if you don't participate. The a party requires all of us to, to bring something and to participate in it. Have you ever gone to that party? And if you're like me, I am a natural introvert. And so sometimes you can find yourself standing in the corner and you're like, okay, this is my safe zone. And this has happened to me multiple times, I'm like in my corner, I'm like, I look like I'm doing something right. And I look over and I'm like, everybody else is in their corner too. (laughs) And then you kind of feel bad. You're like, well, maybe I should get out of my corner because the party's only good if we're interacting, if if we're present and if we're participating. And then if we bring something and that is more so true of the church than maybe anywhere else you go. The church needs you for it to be a great party. Here's the thing, many of us Many of us have kind of been taught to engage with the church, kind of like we engage with our meal times. And what I mean by that is in our culture, we have become more and more accustomed to, and there's statistics that show this, more accustomed to takeout, delivery, and fast food, where we are getting our meals on the go, eating it in bits and pieces, and engaging with it very sporadically. In fact, statistics show and the Atlantic did a study on this about five years ago that our increase in consuming fast food is going up. But the one thing that we actually need more than anything in our life is to have meal, actual meal times in our homes with other people. In fact, this study said, if you want to know what is the number one predictor of children's success in their life, look at how they eat. Look at how they eat. And you're like, no, no, look at their, their friends, the shows they watch. I mean... They said, no, 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 the number one predictor of success for children is frequent family meals around a table, eating food with family and people in their life that care for them. And the same is true for you and I, because the more that we consume fast food, delivery, takeout, eating in bits and pieces on the go rather than actual mealtimes, the unhealthier we get. And the same is true of the church. Oftentimes we engage or we've been told to engage with the church in that sort of fast food mentality. We get bits and pieces. You don't even have to show up in the room. You can, you can kind of take it to go with you wherever you are and consume and bites and pieces without engagement or interaction and even being present. Right? but just like it impacts our health, our physical health and our mental health when we don't have meal times. So when the church becomes that kind of consumer driven experience, our spiritual health suffers for it and the health of the church suffers for it because the lifeblood of the party is the people and the people participating together. That's why we do things like community groups, because they matter so much. It gets us not zipping by each other, but sitting in a circle and looking face-to-face, shoulder-to-shoulder with each other. Even when we come in sometimes, we can bring that fast food mentality with us. You You know, order what you want, maybe leave a tip as you leave, and maybe you like what the preacher gave you to eat that day, maybe not. You just leave it on the table and go. And I do want to say, real quick, caveat with this. I am not saying this to make anyone feel guilty. You're like, I don't think so because I'm feeling pretty bad. Um, there are seasons and times in our lives when we come even to the church and we, we consume when we feel like there's not much or we're not in a season of contributing, just like there are seasons of our lives when fast food is the only thing getting us by. A few years ago, uh, my sister had my nephew and he was born with a ton of health issues and spent the first nine months of his life in the hospital. And my sister and brother-in-law lived at the hospital. And I remember every time I would come to visit, come down to Dallas before I moved back and, and then visited them in the hospital, one thing that stuck out to me was how much fast food was eaten in that lobby, how much fast food was disposed of in the lobby trash cans. But it was because that was how we and everybody there was surviving in that season. Yes, it wasn't the ideal, but it was, the choice between eating or not was fast food. And if the choice is between eating or not, eating fast food suffices, right? And so please hear me say this. We're talking about this vision, this greater vision of the church. But I know, God knows, we all know that there are times when we come and it is bits and pieces and it's consuming because it might be survival right now. And that is okay. God shows up in every space of our lives, and his grace is more than enough. But when the early church leaders talk about the church, I I want to talk about the big vision. And so go with me for the next few minutes. That's what we're talking about, this big vision of the church where we have something to bring. And the first, one of the very first leaders of the church, the apostle Paul, he gives us this picture of what the church looks like. And he, he says this, and I love it. It's in First Corinthians 12. He says, there are different kinds of gifts that everyone has, but the same spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, different ways people contribute, but it's the same Lord who inspires and gifts everybody in their contribution. And he's telling us the big vision of the church is that God has given gifts to each one of us, to you and to I, so that God can work through us to achieve God's mission in the world and and host this celebration, this party. And if that word gifts is new to you, basically gifts and graces, we kind of use that language. That is simply that God has given you the ability to do something in which God's grace, God's goodness, God's love is shared with other people. That's it. Maybe you have the gift of hospitality. You can go into a room and you don't know a stranger. That's a gift. Maybe you are the person that you can invite anybody and everybody, and they will take your recommendation and come, that's your gift. And God can use that here in the church to work through that gift and through you to continue to reach people so they know they're welcome to the party. And Paul goes on and he says this, he says, there are different kinds of working, but in all of them, all of these gifts, and in every person, it is the same God at work. There's no distinguishing someone has a better gift or someone participates or contributes or has something better to bring than somebody else. He says, no, 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 all gifts are needed. All gifts are valued. All are given by God and they are for the common good of everybody. In other words, God made you good at something for the good of everyone. Whatever you're good at, God can use for the good of everyone. And that's Paul's vision of the church. And he kind of wraps up this conversation in verse 12. He says, just as a body, he says the image of our physical body, though it is one, it has many parts and all its many parts form one body. He says, so it is with the church. So it is with Christ. We are all baptized by one spirit. So as to form one body, one community. But like your body needs the use of every part, so the church needs the use of every part to function as God has created and made it to function. That's the image that the early church leaders, after Jesus has ascended, has left this earth, and has entrusted them with the church. This is the image of the church and the party they see, that it's only good when we all have something to bring and bring what we can but why do sometimes some of us not bring those gifts? Or why do sometimes we portray the church as a place in which those gifts can't be used? I, and I was thinking about that this week because I grew up in church my whole life, but not over that whole timeline of church experience have I always felt useful to the church. Sometimes I just kind of felt like I was going. I didn't have that vision and when, but, but when Paul talks about it, he says it's imperative. And I think sometimes what happens for many of us is that we can be told, you have a gift to bring, you have a part to play, but, but we downplay that gift. Have you ever, going back to the question earlier uh, as to what you bring to a party, have you ever prepared that and then felt like, oh gosh, maybe it's not good enough? Have you ever brought the dish to the potluck or to the party and you're like, oh my goodness, nobody's eating it. What did I do wrong? You're like, let me go taste it and make sure it tastes good. You've like second guessed yourself. Like maybe I didn't put the butter in the mashed potatoes. Like how do you screw up mashed potatoes? How do you screw up rolls? You can, let me tell you, you can. If you buy frozen rolls and you don't bake them, that doesn't work sometimes we're reluctant or reticent to bring our gifts or even to see ourselves as people who can participate in this party and in this thing that God is doing because we feel like what we have might be so little or not good enough. I don't want to wrap up on one story that Jesus tells. It's actually a story of something that happens with Jesus and his ministry and his disciples. And after Jesus has gone on and they're starting the church, four of Jesus' disciples write about this story and they tell about this story six times. It is the only incident in Jesus' ministry that we have this many accounts of, six. We don't even have that many accounts of Jesus' birth. We don't even have six accounts of Jesus' resurrection. This is the only thing that happens in Jesus' earthly life and ministry that we're told about six times. For us, that is Jesus' followers saying, you need to pay attention. This, this matters. And this is the crux of everything when it comes to celebrating the life that God has called you to. And it's this moment when Jesus' disciples, they have ministered all throughout Galilee. They get on a boat because they're going to go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee to rest for a few days and then hit the road again. But by the time their boat lands... In another uh, part of the sea, the crowds have found them and they're waiting for Jesus and the disciples because they're so desperate. They're so desperate for God to do something in their lives. And this is what happens. When Jesus arrived and saw a huge crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like a sheep without a shepherd. Then he began to teach them many things. Late in the day, his disciples came to him and said, you know, this is an isolated place and it's already late in the day. Send them away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and buy something to eat for themselves. Basically, they've been here all day. They need to go eat. Like, stop talking, Jesus. You've been preaching for five hours. You know, get done. And then Jesus says this to them. He replied, you give them something to eat you feed them. They've been here all day listening to us minister. Now you feed them. But the disciples said to him, should we go off and buy bread worth almost eight months pay and give it to them to eat? In other words, they're like saying to Jesus, that's impossible. It would take eight months pay. We're disciples of you. We're not known to have deep pockets here. We can't do this. It's impossible. That's what they're telling Jesus. But he said to them, how much bread do you have? Take a look. After checking, they said, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. Surely not enough for that many people. But he directed the disciples to seat all the people in groups as though they were having, get this, a great banquet. Jesus is setting up the party. And then they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties and he took the five loaves and the two fish. He looked up to heaven, blessed them and broke the loaves into pieces and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And he also divided the two fish among them and everyone ate until they were full. And they filled 12 baskets with the leftover pieces of bread and fish. About 5,000, 5,000 people had ended up eating that day. In this story of Jesus that we're told about six times, the disciples like you and I run up against what feels like their inadequacy. Their inability to do what Jesus has called them into. They say, that's great, Jesus. We would love to feed all the people, but you don't understand we can't. We don't have anything to bring to them or it's impossible to get anything to bring to them. But I love what Jesus does. I love how Jesus responds to them. He doesn't say, well, man, that is a dilemma. Whew. I should have called better disciples, you know? Like, I'll take your resignation today, we'll fill it and get some more people who can do the job. No, 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 Jesus just says, what do you have? What do you have? Not don't, don't tell me, is it enough or not? Just, just tell me what you do have. And I love that in that moment. That's not Jesus correcting them, reprimanding them, like getting on to them. Jesus isn't annoyed with them. That's a moment of compassion that Jesus has for them. He said, I didn't expect that you would be God. I'm the one who does the miracles around here. But I just asked, what do you have And him asking that question, he doesn't write off his disciples. He actually elevates their status because he believes they have something to give. He sees them as participants in the the kingdom of God. Whereas they feel so inadequate, whereas they feel like they've got nothing, whereas they might feel tired and broken. He says, oh, no, no, no. I see who you are. I know you. And let me tell you, you didn't choose me, I chose you because I know who you are and you have something to give. See, Jesus never asked them if they have enough. Jesus only asked them what they do have because Jesus knows what he's about to do and he works a miracle in what little they have to make it much. Now you might be a skeptic when it comes to miracles and I've always been a skeptic of this story. And whether you believe it literally happened and Jesus fed 5,000 people and multiplied food and broke all the laws of nature, or that there were simply so many people there, like many scholars say, and they just ended up sharing food. It doesn't matter how you explain that story, It's a miracle nonetheless, because Jesus starts with what little is offered and makes much of it. And it's the same with you and I. It's the same with this party that Jesus is throwing, this mission. Who starts a church in the middle of a pandemic, y'all? Two years ago, we did that. Two years ago, there were many times I thought, there is no way, God, we got, ah. My prayers at that time were not very holy. They were very desperate and sometimes still are because to participate in what God is doing can feel huge. How are we gonna reach an entire city and beyond with the good news that Jesus is for people, not against them? The church hasn't been spreading that message for a long time. So how are we gonna come and really change the tide? And Jesus says, what do you have? I didn't ask if you had it all figured out. I didn't ask if you could write all the checks. I didn't ask if you knew everything to do. I didn't ask if you were a top strategist in church planting and new organizations starting in Dallas. All I ask is for you to come to the party and what you have. See, our partnership with God is never dependent on our ability, but only our willingness to say yes. The only thing that ever hinders God being able to work through a group of people or a person is if we say no, never our ability. Our need doesn't hinder God, but our no will. God just says, would you be willing to show up and participate? and watch me make much of little. I'm the one who works the miracles here, but I need people to show up and participate. Friends, we need you. The party is continuing. It's been good for two years, but God has so much more in store for this city and beyond. There are so many people who are waking up on Sunday morning. 70% of the city does not even go to church. And maybe it's because they don't know there's a place that they could go and be invited to or be accepted at. There is work to be done. There is a party to celebrate and it's gonna take every single one of us. So as we wrap up this series, as we wrap up this month thinking about and praising God for what he has done, would you join with us? Pray about, God, how could you use what little I have for your your miracle, for your kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. I guarantee there are gifts you have that we need. I said, would you pray about, God, how can I participate in the party and bring about your good news in Dallas and beyond so we can welcome more to the party? thanks for listening today. Want to connect with Uptown Church? Visit uptownchurchdallas.org or follow us on Instagram. And be sure to join us on Sundays at 10 a.m. for in-person worship at House of Blues in Dallas. God is with you. God is for you. Go in peace.